listening to the marijuana solution and i'm your host robert roundtree this episode we're speaking with mr tom quigley uh, last week we spoke with pete sessa he's the co-founder of the florida cannabis coalition and here's the other part of that co-founding partnership uh, tom i'm going to let you kind of give your story and overview um, how are you doing today i'm doing great thanks so much for having me robert uh i listened to last week's podcast and you know, I was excited when you asked me to be on this week, so thank you for having me. You're welcome. Absolutely. Uh, I've heard your story, you know, at Canada's and just from being around and listening to you speak, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners have, but I think a lot haven't, and your story, when I heard it, I connected with it about your uh, battle with opiates and how you kind of took a plunge into cannabis. You even wrote a book about it, your transition. <laughs> I did. I did corporate to cannabis, the green carpet entry. Um, you know, I wanted to outline, you know, what happened and basically my story, because, you know, I felt by telling my story, I would be able to connect with other people that either it related to them personally or family members or someone that they know, um, because, you know, this is for a lot of people, a brand new industry. And for a lot of people, you know, brand new territory completely. So um, by being able to share my experience, maybe they could understand how someone that wasn't a lifelong advocate basically changed their views and, you know, based, dove in feet first. Yeah. And we're starting to see that a lot more. And I credit it a lot to people like yourself that are actually speaking and carrying that message. I've I've heard a little bit about, I mean, I know the story, but can you kind of basically give our viewers an overview of what it was, that catalyst moment for you sure. to do that? Sure. You know, w without boring on, I'll give the Cliff Notes version on most of it, but you know, I've been Perfect. a lifelong entrepreneur, um, lived in Florida pretty much a majority of my adult life. I owned a telecom business, which built brands for prepaid calling cards throughout the country. In just like any business owner or entrepreneur, life has its peaks and valleys. Uh, I prefer to call it sometimes shoots and ladders. And in 2007, um, I hit a tree on the first day of the year, January 2nd for me, um, going 40 miles an hour. Wow. Um, that car accident um, had me airlifted to Tampa General Hospital, um, where I started on you know, pain pills and muscle relaxers uh, for the injuries that occurred from the accident itself. Um, now, well, that was in 2007. In 2008, um, I was normally a healthy person, worked out in the gym quite regularly, and um, after one of my workouts took a shower and my left arm went completely numb and I panicked and thought I was having a heart attack. So I went to the emergency room. Um, they ran a number of tests on me and found out that my neck actually collapsed and was crushing my spinal cord. Oh, wow. They told me that if I didn't have an emergency fusion that I may lose, um, use of my left arm and a lot of uh, the left side of my body. Um, so basically, 
without much planning, I underwent a neck fusion. Um, that surgery I recovered from, but was put on a regimen of pain pills for the after effects, everything that went along with it. And this was everything from muscle relaxers to Percocet, Vicodin, um, and Tramadol. And they also added in a, a, a painkiller called Dilaudid because my pain was so high, the threshold, that um, most painkillers were not working. Yeah, that's a really strong one. I think it's oxymorphone. Yes, yes. So, you know, after the car wreck, I was on a regimen of Percocet and Vicodin regularly. My neck collapsed. Pain level shot through the roof. The only thing that um, would basically alleviate it was Dilaudid and uh, the morphine drip that they gave me. So after I came out of the hospital, um, stayed on the Percocet, Vicodin, uh, Tramadol. Uh, the Dilaudid I weaned off of, but Oxycontin was introduced into the mix as well. Uh, in 2008, I went back into the gym and basically um, my lower back went out on me. I fractured a disc and it lodged in my sciatic nerve and had to go through another surgery. Um, so to make a long story short, between 2007 and 2010, I was on a daily regimen of painkillers, anything from you know 8 to 12 pills per day. And that was just basically to function. By 2010, it was uh, three days before Christmas, I went um, into the hospital with uh, pains and discovered that I had developed liver disease, pancreatitis, and diabetes. And I was severely addicted to the pain medication that I was on. So from 2007 through 2010, developed a high dependence on um, pain medication and in turn developed uh, additional health issues and health problems as a result. So this really uh, shocked me, of course. So after that, um, I decided to get myself into shape. Um, I, I quit the pain pills. I, I detoxed myself over a course of three days on the couch and basically decided to live a healthy lifestyle. Uh, I got into mixed martial arts. I was doing a lot of jujitsu and um, basically different ways to train as opposed to lifting heavy weights. Um, I, I also have a form of arthritis, which causes bone spurs. So mm. I didn't want to go back to repetitive motions with weights. So I started um, doing things to raise my heart rate and basically become healthy. In fast forward to 2012, uh, I went into the ER with a pain in my side, which I felt was an injury from working out in the gym. And a CT scan revealed that I had a mass on my pancreas. So this was a real wake-up call. I really didn't even know what this meant. I went um, home, got on Google, searched, you know, mass on my pancreas, and basically found out that um, it wasn't good. This is what Steve Jobs, you know, had, Patrick Swayze, um, and it could be pancreatic cancer. So this really, really scared me. I went to the, another hospital, had another exam done. They found that 
uh, through another CT scan and an MRI that I did have a mass on my pancreas and I was going to need a surgery called the Whipple where they go in and they remove part of your pancreas and your intestine and um, basically remove what it is and then figure out if it and then put you on a regimen if it's cancer to, to basically cure it or treat it. So because I went through my bout with painkillers, I was extremely afraid of getting on painkillers again after the surgery. Oh, um, they, had, they had told me that, you know, that it was going to be about eight weeks in the hospital. So I started examining, you know, alternative health treatments. Um, you know, I, I, I really didn't know anything about cannabis as medicine, um, but I did know that there were people that were going outside of the U.S. and they were treating themselves for different things. Magic Johnson had um, alternative treatments for his HIV. And I've heard of other people seeking, you know, treatments that were um, more holistic. So through my investigation of it, it led me to a gentleman named John McAfee. Um, and I had seen some videos where he was down in Costa Rica and he was doing a lot of um, alternative therapies and growing medicine, some of it being cannabis, um, some of it being other holistic treatments. And that w is what really opened up my eyes to cannabis being medicine. So I started figuring how I would treat myself with this. I found a video called Run to the Cure, which um, many of you may be familiar with. That is um, the Rick Simpson oil. And I decided that I was going to take on this diagnosis headfirst and really fight it any which way that I could. So the research was being done on my end. I was finding out what was out there. And I realized that there wasn't really a lot of... Um, knowledge around the subject. The physicians that I was dealing with didn't know anything about it. Um, the people in my circle and in the business that I was working in didn't know anything about it. Um, come March of 2013, I was going to Moffitt Cancer Center now for almost six months. Um, they told me I had the mass in October of 2012. Um, during this time, um, my physicians at Moffitt were, were phenomenal. Um, they had said to me, we don't, we're not sure that it is cannabis, Tom, or a cancer, Tom, and we're going to treat this slowly and we're going to make sure. So they did an endoscope and they went in and they looked at what was on um, my pancreas that was showing up on the CT scans. And they were going to um, revisit that every month to see if it was growing or what was happening. It wasn't in a place where they could do a biopsy to find out. And um, lo and behold, after four months, March 4th, 2013, I was made aware by the physicians at Moffitt that it wasn't cancer and I was going to be okay. <laughs> so wow. I, w I, w I went to my, my family physician and, you know, you can imagine during this four months, I, I wrote my will. I prepared my business, which I was running. A, I was running a multi-million dollar telecom company with employees and distribution points throughout the country, including California and Colorado. Um, you know, I prepared my business, uh, you know, that I was going to possibly not be around any longer. And um, 
went to my physician and I said, well, why? Why did this happen to me? And he said, Tom, you, you have a new lease on life. You can go and do anything that you want to do now. And, um, you know, I sat back and I thought about it and I said, you know, I'm sure that there are so many other people because while I was going to Moffitt Cancer Center, I don't know if you've ever been there. I haven't. Um, you could see so many patients that are dealing with this. You know, when you get f first become diagnosed with something like this, you feel like you're all alone. And, you know, why is this happening to me? And then once you, um, you know, participate in some of the things that are happening, like going to uh, physician visits at Moffitt Cancer Center, you see children, mothers, families, you know, that are all dealing with their own form of cancer that are all under the same roof. Yeah, and I real <clears throat> there's a lot of them. I I don't never been in Moffitt, but I grew up in Gainesville, so we had the Shands uh, hospital there, and they've got a big cancer hospital. Um, and my mom worked at the VA, and they connect. So I unfortunately know a lot about that. Yeah, and it's you know it's eye opening for somebody like myself. You know, I've I was just had my head down trying to build a company, make more money. Um, you know, provide for my family. And, you know, I never realized or had the perspective to see what other people were dealing with, whether personally or through uh, other family members. I really never had anybody within my immediate circle that had to deal with this at that level. So for me, just going to the hospital and seeing these patients and their families was, you know, it, it was an awakening that I, I can't even um, express in words. Um, so with that, I, I really decided that, you know, I wanted to do something to, to figure out how I can help people to understand that there are alternative treatments and there is hope and there is a way for them to treat their body with other things than these harmful pharmaceuticals. You know, the same things that had almost killed me over the last 10 years of time. And you know, at that point, that's when I decided that I was going to leave what I was doing, which was the corporate world, and delve into the cannabis industry. And that's the premise for the book that I authored, uh, Corporate to Cannabis, and outlines that story and, you know, what I learned from there. Um, at that point, there still really wasn't a lot going on here in Florida. Um, we were just starting with the campaign for Amendment 2. Um, there was talk in Tallahassee about um, Senate Bill 1030, which was the low THC, high CBD bill, but there was really nowhere to go and really learn what was going on, how this affected your body, and, and how this industry was being formed. Because in Colorado, they just passed adult use and the first day of adult rec sales was January 1st, 2014. And it was coincided right with my exit from the telecom industry. So I, I joined a lot of organizations, uh, Marijuana Policy Project, uh, National Cannabis Industry Association, the ArcView Investor Network, and I began traveling the country. Um, you know, going everywhere I could to learn everything that was out there to be able to educate myself even more so on this industry as a business. And I spent a ton of money traveling. 
420 College, Cannabis Career Institute. Um, I met people like uh, Steve D'Angelo with Harborside out in California. And I realized that if we were going to pass a law in the state of Florida, because that's what was we were trying to do at that time with Amendment 2, that we really needed to bring some of the thought leaders and the people throughout this country to back to Florida to help educate people and, and basically give the Cliff Notes version of what I delved into um, and, and help educate Floridians that cannabis is medicine. And not only is it medicine, but it's becoming an industry and, it's and a business for a lot of people throughout this country. And that's how um, I came up with the concept to create the Florida Cannabis Coalition. Your story is pretty amazing. You basically were preparing for your death and <clears throat> on the heels of opiate addiction. And then you find out, you know, it's like a moment of redemption, I guess, when you got the good news. How would you characterize that? Yeah, it was an awakening. It was an awakening, you know, and um, it changed my perspective on a lot of things, you know, not just you know, health, but, you know, how I ran my business and how I ran my life. And it, it basically, you know, changed my perspective. Um, so I had the hope that with education, we can help to change the perspective of others. Absolutely. And the Florida Cannabis Coalition has been doing a great job of it. And there's also a handful of success stories of people that I know that were looking to get involved and they didn't know how to. Somehow they found out about the Florida Cannabis Coalition, and now they're uh, opening businesses in the space. Yeah, and that that's exciting to me, you know. And and that's the reason that I started the organization and started it with Pete. And you know, I really had no idea, you know, how it would evolve and where we were going to be. In 2014, you know, we traveled the entire state and we had events in Orlando and Tampa and Boca. We brought some of the people that I became friends with, like Steve D'Angelo, um, Kelly Crossan from Marijuana Policy Project, um, Eric Stevens, all on stage, as well as the Canamoms, Renee and Mariah, um, to tell their stories, you know, and help people that were not as educated on what was happening um, to gain a little bit of perspective. And by patients telling their stories or entrepreneurs telling their stories, I found that newcomers that were interested and wanted information could connect, even if it was on some level. They either had a family member that they could relate to or they could see this as a business opportunity um, to become more involved. And that's what we needed was more involvement because, as you know, in 2014, we just missed uh, passing Amendment 2 by 2%. Yeah, that was a little disappointing to me when we barely missed that. <clears throat> um, you mentioned the, the Canamoms and all those great speakers you have. I think that's a large part of the success is the quality of information and the education that you put out. Uh, the lineup for Super Canada Day, I, that's pretty great lineup in my opinion. It is, it is. And now fast forward to where we are right now. Um you know, 2016, now we have businesses that are formed. Yeah. You know, we have companies that have been built. Um, some of the founders, you know, are Florida Cannabis Coalition members, like you mentioned, you know, that are, are running businesses, everything from, you know, lab testing 
um, to con- you know uh, business development, marketing, as well as you know cultivation. You know we have licensed holders now here in the state of Florida that are going to be contributing to our economy and um, helping with you know some of the social ills that the war on drugs has uh, has plagued our state and this country with. Yeah, the war on drugs, it's been ferocious. In the last couple weeks, I've seen a dizzying number of statistics, uh, one that showed possession arrest or continuing to climb up on a graph like a hockey stick, while trafficking and sales arrests seem to be flatlined. Florida, we arrest like 40,000 for cannabis possession. We can't even get the uh, bill heard at the state level. Cannabis industry professionals want to gain some new leads, make genuine business connections, and get premier brand exposure? This is your opportunity. NCIA's new industry socials are coming soon to Portland, Maine, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Miami. Sponsorship opportunities available. Register today. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put different celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is him pink, that's the point Download and play while you life yourself a joint The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crap, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches, premium mixing and rolling pouches allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease. These stylish pouches are handcrafted using strong zips, long-wearing buffalo leather outside, and smooth sheepskin inside. A portion of proceeds go to fund vital medical research into cannabis for ADHD. See a demo and get yours now on Indiegogo or Pouches.com. That's P-O-U-C-H-Z.com. However, with that being said... The medical marijuana program is off to a roaring start. It's breaking records for any other program. There's a lot of businesses getting involved and a lot of charitable organizations that are getting involved and helping out patient groups that need it, such as veterans. Uh, you mentioned the can of moms. There's all types of organizations that have been formed. What is it? about the cannabis industry in your opinion that lends itself to being more community involved you, you know i believe that we're we're all immigrants from other industries so to speak whether it was we were involved in um corporate america we were involved in advocacy or we were involved in um in the black market, some have been, and and it's 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 a community that is inclusive to anyone that wants to be involved, and and I've seen so many helping hands where people are reaching out and helping others, um, because this is new. 
You know, I heard Pete last week when he had mentioned, you know, when he got involved, you know, some people just stopped speaking with him. And, and I understand that, um, you know, because they didn't understand. But at the same time, the doors have been opened for for so many other people to be able to get together and and, and help so many people. You know, I, I, I know you're a veteran and I'm very, very close friends with Dr. Sue Sicily. And she's working, you know, with uh, studies that are helping the veterans. And, you know, we're seeing so many things that can help communities. You know, I want to go back to that number of arrests that you mentioned earlier. What was yeah. it, 40,000? 40, 40, yeah, it's being- like 39. It's like, it might as well be 40,000. You know, and it, it, it's a shame because, you know, young people are getting arrested for, you know, what equates to sometimes a handful of cannabis. And then they're forced to deal with this on their records. They may spend the night in jail. They're in um, times of their life when they're figuring out exactly who they are or who they want to be. And something like this for many of them is hard to overcome. You know, we're seeing so many um, people that, you know, maybe that first arrest now identifies them. And these people, unfortunately are not able to contribute to society because in their mind, you know, they've been labeled a criminal. And, you know, those are the things that need to stop. Um, we, we need to help. And I hate to get off on this end of it, but it just got me thinking about it. You know, we, we need to be able to give people an opportunity to be contributing to our society again. And these arrests and this number of people that are, are, put into the system, so to speak, are having the paths of their lives altered in a way that's not good for society. And it's all over a small amount of of cannabis, which, you know, is legal in in now eight states for just adult use. Um, So we have, even though we're making strides, you know, on the business end of it and on the legalization and the education end of it, there's so much more that has to be done um, to protect, you know, the civil rights uh, of patients. Absolutely. I myself am the victim of the drug war. I was arrested with coconut oil I had infused, and I was arrested in Arizona. Those charges have followed me to the point where if I go to try and get an apartment to rent, it comes up and most of the time it's an automatic no. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have a, a friend family member that um, went through the hiring process with the hard rock casino, um, which is, you know, a very difficult hiring process. They start out with, you know, possibly a hundred applicants. Then they narrow it down to 60. They narrow it down to 12. They narrow it down to 10 then three. And they do uh, um, a process where you follow around somebody else and then you go and you get your uniform um, sized and everything. Went all the way through that whole process until the, the level two background check where they do fingerprints and basically had an arrest that had shown up for some cannabis from the age, you know, a younger age and their insurance wouldn't cover them. So he couldn't be hired. It wasn't that he was a, a risk, but their insurance companies would not cover someone that was arrested for cannabis. So now went through this whole process, you know, a number of months, only to find out 
that they're unemployable at this position. You know, it it defeats them, especially a young person, you know, let alone. And and some of these people, it'll follow them around for 15 to 20 years. So, you know, that's why what happened in California is really good. We're going to have close to, you know, I believe they said a million people that will have their records expunged uh, with what happened with Prop 64 out there. And um, hopefully, you know, there's, there'll be some legislation across not, not just statewide, but on the federal level that will allow the people that, you know, have run into this to, to, to be free of it once and for all. They absolutely need to be. They're filling up prisons for no reason. There's plenty of other people that could fill those slots if they're so worried about their private prison money. Absolutely. And, you know, you put somebody in prison and they're side by side with somebody that, you know, had a an assault or, you know, an armed robbery. And, you know, and it, it, that's what they now associate with. You know, it, you're the sum of the people that you're around. So when we take a good person and we put them into an environment that is not good, you know, what do we expect that's going to happen to them? Oh, it's going to turn out bad almost every time. Yes. And then a lot of these people, they're, they're now they have to make a dollar. So they're working off the books, whether it's lawn jobs or other things. And they're not, you know, contributing to taxes. They're not contributing to, you know, our society in that fashion. And that's all they know. And, you know, there's thousands, I, I probably hundreds of thousands of people in our state alone that fit that description. Oh, absolutely. Um, and untold numbers all around the country. Legalization we- needs to happen for a lot of reasons. And one of them is, like you said, just how we treat people for using the plant. And I believe all use is medicinal. I don't, I mean, people call it recreational adult use, whatever. Um, it's medicinal. And we need to end the stigma. It, it is. It is. It's, it's quite okay for a judge or um, a powerful prosecuting attorney to pour a glass of 40-year-old scotch and drink that in chambers, you know, while they're deciding a case. Oh, but of course. God forbid you have somebody that is a patient that's on trial that's in that courtroom that needs cannabis so he doesn't throw up you know, consume. Yeah, it, it the hypocrisy is really bad because like you said, a lot of the chambers have scotch and whiskey in there and they'll have it with counsel after hours, during hours. Doesn't matter. It's their chambers, right? Go go to lobby days. Walk through the halls up there and go into some of those senators' offices. They have full liquor bars right in their office. Oh, of course. And really nice crystal. Um, Answers, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 like the whole nine. I mean, it, it looks nice. I wouldn't mind hanging out with them. <laughs> I mean, if they, if they weren't, if most of them weren't, you know, keeping us from the plant. Um, you know, so speaking about keeping us from the plant, and then I'm going to segue this right into a technology question. I'm sure you'll be happy to answer. Regulate Florida petition. And the Floridians for Freedom petition, they'd both be able to get on the ballot pretty quick if we could sign them digitally. I've often recommended that ballot initiatives and voting period 
uh, incorporate the blockchain technology. And I know that's something that you've been really interested in and that you're going to be speaking about at Canada Day. Can you kind of give an overview for people? A lot of people still don't understand what the blockchain technology is. Um, most have heard about Bitcoin, though. Yeah, absolutely. So if you've heard a bit of Bitcoin or, you know, cryptocurrency, that's an example of what the technology of blockchain is able to do. It's able to allow a secure transaction between two parties to occur. And um, Bitcoin is an example of uh, something of value that is exchanged between two parties. Um, there's about 1,100 altcoins that are out there, and the craze is, you know, in the coins and the valuation in it. Um, what, what, what the real value, in my opinion, is the technology that's behind it, which is the block and the blockchain. Um, a number of years ago, I heard um, Tyler and Cameron, the two brothers from Facebook, speak about this. And, um, and they, they spoke about how this is going to change the way everything from transactions for um, the transfer of title for a vehicle or a home to voting. And the voting as well as, you know, voting for elections, as well as voting rights for corporations and the ability to track um, stock stock. Uh, Overstock.com has come out and they've gotten quite involved. But, you know, if we had an ability for petitions, you know, right now, as you may know, you know, the petitions for Amendment 2, it was an astronomical amount of money was spent just to get those petitions signed. You know, they, they paid people in, and it's common, you know, it's for solar energy. Um, they had it, um, for both of these petitions where, you know, people stand on the corner and they have, you know, their clipboards and they get paid anywhere from a dollar to $4 per petition that they have signed by the general public. And that cost is incurred by the organizations that are trying to get these initiatives on the ballot. Um, so everybody hears about, you know, how much money that was spent by John Morgan and, and Amendment 2, and it was needed. Um, you know, if you're going to have this many petitions signed, but if you can have a digital petition, which is trusted and known that it's voted on by individuals it would speed up this process. It would save everyone a ton of money, and it will allow it would allow you know things to be streamlined so we can have due process done in in a way that makes sense. You know, it's it's a shame we have to wait till two thousand and twenty because to have these petitions signed for both initiatives, we have to raise money. You know, and we have to go out there and raise a lot of money, you know, and, and people don't just, you know, there's philanthropists, philanthropists. Oh, I, I, I just messed that word up twice <laughs> that, that, you know, contribute. But for the most part, it's the average, you know, person that's donating 10, 20, $30, maybe their weekends to have petitions signed. And, and it's really not enough to, to make legislative change. And in Florida, we're up against, you know, uphill battle as it is with having to get 60% of the vote just to have something changed in our legislature or added to our constitution. 
Yeah, it's it makes it difficult to be able to collect that many petitions in the time allotted without having a very well-oiled machine. And that usually comes of two ways. Over a long period of time, building it, you know, grassroots movements usually take a little bit longer. Or somebody really nice like Mr. Morgan did for Puffham comes in, cuts a fat check, and you start paying people to collect petitions. The blockchain would eliminate all of that. It would really democratize the process. If you can file your taxes online, if I can bank online, if I can sign contracts that hold up in the courtroom online, I don't understand. I, I can request my um, military records through EvetRex. I think they you still have to send in a signed version, but the point being is just about all facets of society allow us to conduct our business online, personal health and uh, business matters. I don't understand why the vote isn't other than elites wanting to control it to where you have to have that much money to get something done. Yes. And, and, and also, you know, the, the current way that information is transmitted between parties, whether it's, you know, two parties or multiple it, it is very um, unsecure. So there's a lot of vulnerabilities in the way that um, the internet works currently. So, you know, the way that it was explained to me years ago that really made sense, you know, if I was to send you an email, Robert, you know, I would log into my computer, I would type in my password, and I would be able to type up, a, 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 you know, an, a message and send it to you. And then for you to read that, you would log into your computer or your iPhone or type in your password and open it up and read it. But everywhere between those two points of contact, that message is vulnerable. It, it, it's, it, it's like locking your front door and locking your back door, but your home is full of thieves. Okay? And what blockchain does is it takes that information that is intended to only be between me and you and it puts it into a format that others cannot access and if you think of it that way that's the security that blockchain does for information so you know with that being said you know there's lots of different um, applications that will be done um, but I believe that, you know, if we can implement something that allows not only petitions, but also voting to be done this way, we can streamline, uh, quicken the process and be able to make change happen the same way as we want everything else. You know, right now you want a ride, you call Uber, it comes. You want food, you press a button and it's ordered. Um, you know, we should be able to do the same thing with with change. We shouldn't have to be you know, starting this process in 2013 and, you know, start looking at, oh, well, in 2020, we may have a shot. Yeah, absolutely. I think this would help get the younger generations involved, too, and be more part of the process. They seem to feel more and more disenfranchised. And this really 
liberates things. And like you said, there's no more thieves in the middle. And just for everyone out there listening, Tom's right. It doesn't go from your browser to Tom's browser or your friend's browser. goes through your ISPs, servers, then which, wherever they have those cached, every node in the network, then gets recycled back, and then comes to the computer. So there's there's a lot of points that data can be siphoned off, and most data is non-secure. It's non-secure, it's duplicable, it's changeable, um, it's editable, you know, everything from SMS messages, you know, we're seeing right now, if turn on the news, you'll see what's going on with the FBI and, you know, SMS and text messages that were sent between parties. Um, you know, blockchain, Web3, all of this, and, and, you know, it's funny because I mentioned earlier John McAfee, you know, and John McAfee is another security expert and you know a leading thought leader and you know he he has a a lot of um videos you know for your listeners if you go on youtube and just take a look you know he he is a, a very outspoken about blockchain and about security and how it changes things and you know the next 10 years we're going to see that shift from what we know now to you know what will be the blockchain as a form for everything, you know, and, and it's decentralized, um, the majority of them. A, a few of the new cryptocurrencies that are coming out, you know, people may not understand if you know the difference between decentralized, meaning there's no bank or entity that controls it. Um, we basically are all contributors and all hold little pieces of the key independently to, um, you know, platforms like Ripple, which is centralized. So there's there's going to be some that come out that will have a point of um, centralization that will basically hold the keys to portions of it, but we'll see hybrids of this out there, not so much as you know what Bitcoin basically is. And, and, and I like to refer to Bitcoin as the MySpace. Um, you know, I, I don't know who the Facebook of cryptocurrency will be, um, but some some say that you know we we may see that in the very, very near future. Yeah, I think Bitcoin's definitely, you know, the, like you said, the MySpace. Um, the Facebook is yet to be seen because, as you know, the, these coins kind of are battling it out in their market cap. Ripple's taken off a lot. Uh, Litecoin's still up there. But these things evolve because it's a technology. So... Who knows? Absolutely. But it, they all work off the, the premise of blockchain. Yeah, I, I trust the blockchain more than I trust hanging chads. That's all I know. <laughs> and, you oh, know, I mean, we're in Florida. Absolutely. And look at how far we've advanced since then. Light years. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to the end of this session speaking of it advancements i think we're going to see some changes maybe i don't think we're going to see anything major in the medical marijuana program but i'm hoping to see some changes i would really like to see that decriminalization bill passed what is your opinion on the two things the contractor exclusion that they have in the bill currently and then the proposed bill for the single franchise i guess is what people are calling it although it's not technically a franchise 
Um, I think you're referring Senate Bill 1336 uh, from Thursday, which which is basically like Correct. a franchise bill. Yeah, so I, I think that opens up the door. So I, I believe in a horizontal market that, you know, Budweiser doesn't have their own store locations that just sell Budweiser, um, that many, many different products out there um, that fit this model that you need to have choice. And the consumers are going to drive that. Consumers want choice. It's proven. It's been proven over every consumable product that's out there. And it will not um, change with cannabis. So the current market that we have, which doesn't allow um, our, our license holders to work with outside sources, is you know ridiculous in my opinion. Um, they need, they're going to need to outsource and work collaboratively with you know people that can be experts in different pieces, whether it's um, delivery, security, customer service, um, as such, or even production of, uh, edibles or production of other products that, you know, people can use, whether they're brands or so forth. And, and those brands will be become emerging. Um, I, I think that, uh, the, the new legislation, Senate bill 1336, um, may open up the opportunity for more, uh, individuals to become involved. Because if I'm interpreting that right, it will allow, or if I'm interpreting it correctly, it will allow the current license holders to have um, relationships with independent retail facilities that are separate entities, but those separate entities will be required to carry all the products from that specific license holder initially. Correct. And then the license holder still gets the delivery territory. Exactly. And, and I see that this is a good thing. It's not exactly what we, we need right now, but it opens up the door to eventually allowing cross um, promotion or products to be um, from multiple license holders. So in, in Colorado, you may know, initially they were a completely vertical market. And um, I believe in 2016, it opened up to 70-30, meaning that, you know, organizations like Medicine Man were able to carry products from um, some of the other producers or some of the other um, companies that were creating things like transdermal patches, um, inhalers, as well as branded products like Whoopi and Maya or um, some of the others that you've seen there like Wana. Um, just to mention a few, um, Florida right now, there's a stranglehold, you know, right now people can't create business plans because the way the rules are, are written prohibit that. So it, it's really stifling innovation because, you know, people can't start making these plans, um, to do this and, and, and it's difficult. So, you know, we need things to happen quicker for this, to, to evolve, um, to a way that the, the patients are going to be happy. And that's what it's about. You know, we, we have to think, you know, what's best for our patients? What's best for our patients is quality, choice, and price, of course. And if, and if the, there's no competition and there's no reason for the current license holders to improve their quality or improve their products based on that, 
you know, we're going to be in a market that that's going to stagnate, you know, and, and, and it's not right and it's not good for the patients. No, it's not good for the patients at all. And the only way that a, another brand that I know of that can um, get on shelves now is you'd basically have to like sell all of your IP to the, to the MMTC or license all of it. And nobody wants to do that. No. And then, you know, patients that like your brand, your, now your brand is behold to that cultivator or that license holder, you know, and, and that isn't good business sense either. You know, how do you build a brand when it's only available at one location? I want it to be, if it's my brand, available at my location. See, I believe in a horizontal marketplace as well. For And then if you choose to have a vertical, that's great. But you most likely still have your products everywhere. There's a brand that I'll mention most people are familiar with, Cookies. They have cookies stores, but that you can still get their products and many of what would be considered a competitor store, other retail dispensaries, I think there should be only one regulation on cannabis, Tom, and that's the testing and safety requirements. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register before May 1st for an early bird discount of 50% off now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Join us for the 2019 U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo August 3rd and 4th in Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. Expo.com. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo. Register for an early bird discount now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Outside of that, deregulate it. That would bring the price down, the quality up, and availability through the roof. It would create a lot of jobs, uh, revenue for the state. That's the one thing the state always likes to hear. Politicians love that word, revenue. You can usually get them to listen. I agree with you. I agree with you on that. And you know, and, and they're scared. They really don't understand. They, you know, we're immersed in it. And even you know, people that I know that are immersed and even have positions in companies that are license holders are, are still not aware of everything that's going on, um, you know, and, and, and we need that. We need an open market. We need the ability for businesses to flourish and the cream will rise to the top and the brands that, um, that, that provide quality and they provide a good experience 
will prosper. And the, the companies that do that will prosper as well. And, you know, that's how we build a very robust market. You know, it's a commodity. We have a product and we're being beat all over the place right now in Florida. You know, we're being beat internationally and we're being beat, you know, within our own country. You know, New Jersey's the next that's going to legalize adult use. And this could happen within the next hundred days. You know, and I, I don't know if people understand, you know, how big that is, you know, with New York right next to it, with the with, with, with the Port Authority, which controls the bridges and, you know, basically the waterways between New Jersey and New York, New York is going to be forced to have to make a decision whether they're going to go that route or not. You know, we're, we're going to have possibly the entire northeast of the United States with adult use. And very soon. That's going to be a great day. You know, and we're sitting here, we're dragging our feet, you know, and we're forcing, you know, the state to, you know, waste taxpayers' dollars on lawsuits, you know. And I don't know if you've discussed these, the current lawsuits that are going on, but, you know, the Redner case, um, John and uh, John Morgan's case with Kathy and, and Bob Jordan. You know, I talked to Bob on Saturday and, you know, he told me, he said that it was amazing that the judge Givers, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Cam, um, I think Givers or. Yeah, um, basically ha had already prepared um, her answer, you know, before the day even started, knew what it was going to be. You know, but this is taxpayers' dollars. You know, Bob and Kathy have been fighting for this for years. A long time. It, exactly. And they still got to get in their car and go up to Tallahassee and sit there and fight for this. You know, and, and and it's ridiculous. You know, Joe Redner's lawsuit, basically, um, it goes to the intent of Amendment 2. You know, when Amendment 2 was filed, which was a, a change to our Constitution, it, it provided rights to the people in the state of Florida, specifically patients. And the state of Florida is not implementing that, and it's forcing people to sue. You know, who does this benefit? The attorneys? That's about it, uh, and gives the everyone that's involved in the process a, another excuse to have a job. It also gives them an excuse to continue to delay implementation of the bogus regulations that they already wrote up. They, exactly. they can't even award licenses on time, and it's been blamed about the lawsuits. However, both of those lawsuits you mentioned received good news. They are progressing. And I firmly believe that this time next month we'll have successful for the plaintiffs. I agree with you. I agree with you. And then there's another um, lawsuit that's being prepared. I, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Patients and Producers Alliance, PAPA. I have heard of it, and I have heard some, some about the lawsuit that's being prepared. Maybe you could fill me in a little more about it. Yeah, so um, you know they're they're preparing to file a lawsuit against the state to to allow for you know horizontal and you know that's what the people of the state want you know they want the opportunity to build businesses and you know I'm a citizen uh, you know I'm a member of society here in Florida I want to build a business and the state is limiting me from doing it and the same thing with you Robert and the same thing with all the people in this state that want to become involved and they can't 
because of the way that it's structured right now. The state of Florida is limiting the opportunity to its um, what, what are you, the members? <laughs> the you know, the, the residents that, of Florida. The, yeah, I mean, and, and and unfortunately, a lot of people are moving away because of it. You know, they're yes, moving, I, refugees. Yeah, I, I ran into a guy today, a member of Florida, or this week I went down to the IC3, International Capital Cannabis Conference. It, it's um, for family offices. It was at the Fountain Blue. And I ran into a member of the Florida Cannabis Co- Coalition, and he basically said, you know, I can't start my business here in Florida. I'm moving to California. I'm moving to L.A. next week. And, you know, I'm basically going there. So we're losing good people. We're losing good people, not just patients that are refugees that are going to treat themselves like in the past. But we're losing, you know, people that have the ability to build businesses that will contribute to society. And we're losing them to the states that are a little bit more progressive. And, you know, I believe we're going to lose a lot more unless we, you know, make some changes quickly. We are. There's a group that I was doing some work for here in Florida, and they ultimately decided it was in their best interest not to roll the dice on a handful of licenses. They bought a ton of property up in Michigan. They got some property in Oregon. And they're going to town, but their money's being spent in other states, and they're Floridians. Yeah, yeah, and and it doesn't it, even make sense. It doesn't make sense, you know. And then at the federal level as well. And I, 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 I know we only have a limited amount of time, so I don't want to get too far into it. But you know, at the federal level, we have companies that are here in the U.S. that are being repatriated to Canada and to Australia. You know, companies. That would flourish here. Um, the one, one of them that I'm talking about, Lexaria. I don't know if you've ever heard of Lexaria. They're a public company. Um, they they have a patent on the way that um, CBD is encapsulated. Okay. And they're basically moving their business to Canada. You know, and it's unfortunate. You know, it, there was a day where U.S. was superior to many of these other. Um, countries in a lot of respects, you know, to to healthcare and um, business, and the the way that it's structured for cannabis right now, it's not. Um, it, it, now, on the other hand, we are bringing back some other businesses to the U.S., but at the same time, we we need laws changed, not just here in the state. But we need them done at the federal level as well. One hundred percent. Our agricultural economy and our farmers all throughout the Midwest, hemp would be a really profitable crop for them to be growing right about now. And the United States can produce stuff on a scale most other countries can't. There's no reason. I mean, there's just zero excuse for it. Absolutely. As great as Trump um, touts the uh, stock market and unemployment Last time I checked, the budget's still over. We still run a deficit. We could produce a trillion dollars worth of cannabis in this country easy, especially if we started exporting it. I believe they're starting exports in Canada as well now, right? In Canada and Australia. Brilliant. So, yeah, so, and, and, and it's going to become a worldwide commodity. You know, and, and we're going to be left behind just like, you know, if you go back to Prohibition, you know, the U.S. wine production was 
thwarted because of prohibition, and France took the leading role in producing wine. You know, and, and, and all you have, if you go to the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., they have a whole exhibit that explains this. I mean, it, it's the information is out there, and it will happen with this as well. You know, companies, uh, countries like Peru, South in South America, they're starting to legalize, and they're starting to give licenses to import. What does that mean? That means that these large operations that are um, attracting the investment dollars in Canada to build huge production facilities with the confidence that they're not going to have their money confiscated, that they can operate in a, a legal environment, are building facilities that are are going to way surpass what we're able to do in the U.S. because we're being held back. Yeah, the the stranglehold on the cannabis industry is disheartening. I don't see it moving forward at the federal level anytime soon. However, Jose Belen, Marvin Washington, Alexis Bortel, and I forget the other two plaintiffs, or suing the federal government, as you know, we have an oral argument on Valentine's Day. I'm really, really hopeful that this case goes forward. Because in Canada, I believe they got their medical program through a lawsuit. Um, lawsuits seem to work in Florida to get licenses and other things. So maybe that's what's required at the federal level, that it just gets ruled on one day by the Supreme Court. And that's that. And they have to figure it out. Yes, yes. And and also, it's it's a matter of us knowing who we're voting into office that is making the decisions for us. You know, there's, there's a huge responsibility on us as voters to be able to, you know, know who to vote for and who not to vote for and try and make change slowly. You know, I, I, I know we talked a lot of things that are the obstacles that are going on right now. But, you know, on the flip side of that coin, you know, look at where we are right now compared to two years ago. Oh, light years ahead. Yeah, we're light years ahead. So let's look at some of the positives quickly. You know, what I would like to talk about is how we got to where we are so fast, too. And that is by doing exactly what you're talking about is engaging the politicians. They didn't give us everything we wanted. However... We made a lot of progress from where some of these bills started that are governing the medical marijuana program. We've uh, gone around and defeated many dispensary bans at the local level. And I think a lot of what needs to happen is people being involved at the local level. You'll be able to effect the most change there. And it's kind of like a upward effect. People at the local level go on to the state level that go on to the federal level. It's kind of like a course most take. But lots of groups have been able to get um, donations, free recommendations for veterans that Buds for Vets does. That's a great organization helping them out. Um, We Are Rare, we raised a bunch of money this year for some children that were really sick, have rare neurological disorders, and were able to get their family down to Orlando. And... Carlos Guillermo Smith, who I think is probably one of the best politicians, especially in regards to cannabis policy for Florida, was there. And, and that's what we that's what I've done and some of the organizations I've been involved with have done 
to push things forward is get involved at the local level. We've done a lot. And so what are the highlights you've seen in the last two years, aside from going from a CBD program to now having products and dispensaries in 26 locations around the state? I, I think that, you know, the highlight is, is that we have an army of people out there that are educated and they're armed with information now. And they're talking locally, like you just said, not only to their politicians, but to their neighbors, to their family. And they're helping people to understand more so because those are the people that are going to vote. You know, so we, we not only have to reach out to our local politicians, but, you know, basically it's okay to have the conversations. You know, and that was one of the reasons we started those green carpet networking events was to make it okay to come out and meet somebody and talk to them and see them face to face as opposed to, you know, on social media or on television. Um, but, you know, it all comes down to that community. And uh, I've seen progress now. The reason I started Florida Cannabis Coalition was there were no events. Now you can't look at a weekend without there being multiple events going on in this state. All over. Yeah, some of them are better than others, but you know what? They're happening. You know, whether the content is at this level or that level or the ticket price is free or the ticket price is $2,000, you know, the IC Capital, it was $2,000 a ticket at the Fountain Blue, you know, $2,000 a ticket. They had 400 people registered for this event. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> there were, you know, there were people from family offices. There were sponsors from large organizations like UBS that were part of this. It was an international capital. So, you know, we're starting to reach people on different levels, you know, and we're all, you know, and, and that's the other thing that we need to realize is that we all have this end goal, which is, you know, whether it's full legalization or uh, patients' rights or the ability to choose, you know, and I, I believe that that's what it's really all about. It's freedom of choice, you know, freedom to choose the type of medicine that you use, freedom to choose the type of, you know, adult um, use, and I hate to say the word recreation, and I slipped on that, but, you know, people should be able to choose between cannabis and alcohol, you know, Absolutely. And, and, and that's what it comes down to is, is freedom of choice. And, um, and, and I believe that we have more and more people, I meet people all the time that, you know, just entered this movement six months ago or a year ago, and they're already doing their own small seminars in their community. And, you know, they're educating you know, more people and, and that has to continue and, and it's growing. And, you know, Canada day down in Miami, I, I spoke to Pete this week and I, from what he told me, it's going to be the largest event that we've had in the last three years. You know, there's over 300 people already registered 30 or 40 vendors that are going to be out there. Um, you know, and, it, and it, it's at a college campus, Florida international university. Yeah. This it's going to be great. That alone, right there, you know, compared to in 2013 when we had to dance around, you know, the conversation with the locations that we wanted to have an event at. You know, we couldn't even use the word cannabis in our advertising. You know, now, you know, over the last few years, the Gaylord Palms had the marijuana um, business um, event there, you know, which was huge. You know, they, they go all over the country. So, in that aspect, I believe we've made huge, huge strides. 
um, which is fantastic in my opinion. Yeah, we definitely have. There's been t- lots of international conferences that are starting to come to Florida, just like a lot of the other industries do, because let's face it, it's Florida. It's a great place to come to. People love coming here. So I love, I just went to, let's see, Champs, um, the MJ Biz one that was a while back. I missed the IC3 one that you went to, but National Cannabis Industry Association just had their quarterly caucus here. So Florida is definitely light years ahead of where it was just two years ago. There's still a lot of work to do, and I always like to remind everyone uh, this is an ongoing win. Like, we're, we're winning the war. This is winning the war on drugs, by the way, for everyone listening. This is what it looks like. <laughs> we're winning. Yeah, what? absolutely. One battle at a time. Yeah, and that's what it's about. um, I think the most, the last thing I'd like to say, and then I'll let you go, um, the way to be most effective when you do talk to the politicians, especially if there's a group of you going up to any given event or meeting, is staying focused on one, maybe two issues. That's it. The most important ones. The staying focused on the message is of primary importance when you talk to these politicians, because if you're always talking about something different, they don't know what you really want to do. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, going back to the events that we put on, we videotaped every one of our speakers over a period of time. And that's all available on YouTube. It's, it's free to anyone that wants to go to the YouTube channel, Florida Cannabis Coalition. But Tyler Markowart came from um, the state of Washington. And um, Tyler Markwart is a family member of mine. And when he came out here and he spoke, he was he's part of SSDP. He was arrested um, uh, in the state of uh, Washington and prosecuted. And um, he, he's been a huge advocate out there. But the one thing that he said was that, you know, to, to when you have a small amount of time with politicians, you know, you have to almost evolve to being someone they can relate to. You have to shake their hand the way that they shake your hand. You have to dress in a way, and I hate to to say this, but you know, you really have to be able to connect with them. So, you know, a lot of times I say you have to tie up, you know, put on a dress shirt, put on that tie, you know, not for everybody, but if you're in contact with a politician and, and stay focused, you know, they don't want to hear all these different things. You know, they, they only have their door open a little bit and they're speaking to you, you know, barely. You know, you want to get inside. You don't want to hit them with, you know, everything that you have because they can't comprehend it. So by staying focused on issues, shaking their hand the way that they shake your hand, looking them in the eye and being someone that they can relate to, you can make a difference. Absolutely. It's very important like you said, to dress the part and be the part. And when you're walking those halls and going in their offices, these the politicians, they're suited up every day. They're, you don't want to give somebody a reason, especially that are, whether you like it or not, in a higher class of society. It's what most people consider politicians. Um, a reason to doubt your message and... For politicians, a lot of things is about image. And we got some really sharp-dressed politicians. So, with that being said, 
dress your best, stick to message, and deliver it, and stay consistent. It may take five, six, seven, eight times before they really hear you on an issue because they need to know that it's important, and when you're somebody that gets hit by, I don't know, 50, 100, however many people a day on multiple issues, the ones you keep continue to hear repetitively are the ones that are going to stick. Absolutely, and edu- educate yourself. You know, if there's something that you're asked that y- you don't really understand, it's okay to say, I don't know. You Absolutely, know, you- and tell them you'll get back to them, and they'll be impressed that you went back, did some research, and got back with them. Exactly. A lot of people like to shoot from the hip, and you know, they, they share misinformation, and then it's very hard to be taken seriously down the road. Um, it, it, we have one shot a lot of times, and the people with money pay for the steak dinners to sit at those tables with the politicians. The rest of us have, have one impression to make, and, and we need to make that. Um, Absolutely. You got to, when, when that door of opportunity opens, you step in and take it. And Tom, but there, there's a lot of opportunity for people that want to become involved in the industry, whether it's help to educate, get out there and speak to your politicians, create a business. Um, Florida Cannabis Coalition gives you that ability. We're a membership-driven organization. I'm not in the day-to-day operations. Pete um, runs that ship, so to speak. And uh, but it, it, it's one of the organizations that I pride myself on, and I'm very, very proud that I, I started this organization and that it's changing the lives of people. Um, if you could become a member, that's fantastic. If you could come out to one of our events, that's even better. Um, but get out there and, and meet people face-to-face, shake their hand, get to know them, and then figure out what's the right path for yourself if you want to be involved in the industry. There's going to be a lot of opportunities. It may take lawsuits to create those opportunities, but they're coming. It's best to be prepared now for what you will do later. Couldn't have said it better myself, Tom. And like you say, your network is your net worth. And the Florida Cannabis Coalition is a great way to build on both of those. If you could let our listeners know how to connect with you, if they would like to follow more of what you're doing. Yeah, sure. So um, you can connect. But my book is uh, Corporate to Cannabis, The Green Carpet Entry, and it's on Amazon. Um, FloridaCannabisCoalition.com is the Florida Cannabis Coalition uh, website. And then um, if you want to email me or you want to get in contact, my, my email is TomCQuigley at gmail.com. Um, I'm going to be working on a lot of projects um, right now. I can't talk too much about them. We tipped on a little bit with blockchain, but I'm going to be working on a, on a few projects on a national level um, with some pretty big organizations and I can't wait to announce that maybe in the future we can have a podcast when I'm ready to announce it but it's going to involve some of the biggest names in this industry and it's going to be implementing how we can use the security of blockchain to help advance the industry in a number of different ways everything from um, testing to tracking to things like voting I'm excited for it, and I'll be more than honored to have you come on and announce it whenever you're ready, because I didn't even think about testing, but when you said it, it made perfect sense. You'll know that the test results actually came from that machine. I get it. I get it. Brilliant. Thank you, Tom. All right. Thank you so much, Robert, and have a great day, and I appreciate everything you do. I I follow you and 
and the other great advocates in the state. And it's, it's heartwarming to see how it, it's growing and it's evolving and, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, Tom. That means a lot coming from you. I've been following what you've been doing for some years now, and I really appreciate it. Keep that grind up, and I can't wait to see where we're going to be at this time next year. It's going to we, – we can't even predict it. I'm looking forward to it. Me as well. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Bye. Aware, aware of the Starwatch Solution. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.